Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. It's Matthew with you here as usual and joined by a man who's obviously got nothing better to be doing. How are you, Robert, this evening? I'm very well. I'm just taking a break from all the busy things I've been doing, like having a nap and staring wistfully out the window. So, um, Robert, you've uh, you've joined me for a multitude of episodes. I guess a multitude, like four or five or something like that so far. We've uh, mainly been... A plethora, yeah. I think that counts as a plethora. I've never actually seen the definition of a plethora, but um, we'll go with that for sure. Thanks, uh, it means a lot. So we, <laughs> we've uh, we've mainly been playing Rangers of Shadow Deep so far on the podcast, and uh, I wanted to. I, I'm going to call this Frostgrave versus Rangers of Shadow Deep, but this isn't a like comparison between the two because what we're going to do is kind of assume. The listener has knowledge of Rangers of Shadow Deep based on our previous episodes, and if not, then you know they could go back and get the finger out and listen to them. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I was thinking about was because we've played through a few Rangers of Shadow Deep scenarios, and we're not quite ready to to do the next one because there's still stuff I need to get finished before we do that. And I'd been thinking to myself anyway, it'd be quite cool to use the mechanics of the game to do. A versus mode, you know, two warbands going at it, and then I thought, well, that's that's pointless because literally Frostgrave exists, and that's like that's the point of that. So there's no need to to kind of twist Rangers of Shadow Deep into that mode because you could just use Frostgrave and that will work. You know, that's literally what it's made for. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of it, the, I mean, the background of Frostgrave is it's a it's a ruined city, so it was like once a thriving magical city. It had the total textbook big disaster, you know, wizard got into some shit that he shouldn't have. Um, I don't know if he blew the place up or got it covered in snow or whatever, but uh, that snow a thousand years later is now melting and all these wizards, all these ambitious wizards are going back in there to, to kind of find stuff that they might be able to use and they're taking warbands with them to, to keep them as safe as possible as well. So. In Frostgrave, you're you're basically in command of a wizard, whereas in Rangers of Shadow Deep, you're in command of your ranger. So that's the key difference there. Replace ranger with wizard. Uh, the wizard has an apprentice. So in Rangers of Shadow Deep, you don't really have like a deputy or that, like not at least officially in the game. I'm, I'm sure. Am I right? Um, just mushroom men and people with axes at the point so far. Yeah, vultures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, your um, we'll get to this later, but your apprentice in the game is is the second spellcaster, and he's like a dumbed down version of your wizard. So, can do the same things, but not quite as well. Like, he's going to have to roll a bit better to achieve those same things. We'll talk about the spells later on, like I say. But um, yeah, so you you have your wizard, you have your apprentice, and then you have up to I think it's up to eight companions. Um, and again, like Rangers of Shadow Deep, these are all tiered based on like cost. You've got a starting points cost, uh, so you know you could go with a few elite soldiers, or you could really like you know just take a a big amount of rabble and go for the numbers rather than the the quality. So quantity and quality there sound good so far. Absolutely, yeah. So it's a skirmish game, yeah, skirmish fantasy game set in this frozen city. And I was wondering as well, like, war games, I don't have a specifically icy, snowy terrain. And, you know, we, we've um, worked on a lot of fiction and storytelling in the past, Robert. Should we have our own city, you know, rather than playing in Felstad, which is the official setting of Frostgrave? Well, we could make it Edinburgh on New Year's Day, you know, in the morning. Yeah. Um, 
desolation everywhere, that sort of thing. That would work. Cowden beef. <laughs> yeah. We had a setting called Kludgy Meyer in one of our audio dramas, Lords of the Ring piece. Uh, oh, could that's could right. go with Kludgy Meyer. Um, I think a place called Middensbury existed in one of our fictional settings as well, and that sounds like a bit of a shit tip. Yeah, a cope, as we say in Scotland. Cope Meyer. That would that would work <laughs> as well. So yeah, we'll have to we'll have to play in our own sandbox because um, in the spirit of the game as well, you know, Felstad Frostgrave, it's it's the setting officially given to you. But um, if we were playing in a frozen city, there's certainly been a lot of climate change took place because all the miniatures are walking about on nice green grass and there's certainly no snow lying about anywhere, unless we're on the, the cocaine during our sessions, which hasn't happened yet, but can't rule it out in the near future, can we? Well, I'd be checking the stats for sure, see what it does before we rule anything out. So when you when you create a wizard for this game, there are eight schools of magic to choose from. So you've got Chronomancer, that's, he's a, a time rider, if you like, that's what it says as well. Elementalist, Enchanter, Illusionist, Necromancer, always got the Necromancer in there. Sigilist, Soothsayer, Summoner, I can't say this one. Th- so Sobaturgist. Yes, I, I, knew you'd, I knew you'd pull that out your arse, yeah. So, say yeah. it again, sorry. Thaumaturgist. I'm, I'm um, guessing. T-H-A-U-M, yeah, etc. Yeah. yeah. It says they, they draw their magic powers from positive energy. Uh, they're also known as invokers or wonder workers. I like that. Wonder workers. Sounds like they work at a kid's camp in the summer. Yeah, it's like a really, really bad fast food place. Wonder workers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've also our, our eighth um, school of magic is the witch. So that's your eight schools of magic. So when you're when you're building a wizard, you pick one of these for your wizard to be in your apprentice by default is going to be in that school of magic as well. So then you, when you've created your wizard, you have to choose your uh, suite of spells. You're going to have eight spells for your wizard. Three of those must come from the wizard's own school of magic. One spell must come from each of the three aligned schools of magic. So they've got some of those, obviously. And the final two spells could be selected from any of the five neutral schools, but each must come from a different school. Ah, okay. So no matter what, you're going to have a fair um, spread, if you will. Yeah, like lots of variety. So, you know, if you're a summoner, you're not not just going to be summoning things all day. Like You're going to get to do a bit of of different things as well. Um, They do have like opposed schools, so you can't... For your starting game, you can't use any of the opposed schools' magic. And you've got, basically, you've got penalties, because these spells, like Rangers of Shadow Deep, all these spells have, like, a target number, a casting number on the D20, so obviously the higher the number, the, the, the harder it will be to, to pull off. So you've got your starting casting numbers, and any spells that you're using from your own school of magic, they are as they are. But the spells that you're using from aligned schools of magic, you're going to have a plus two on top of that. So they're going to be kind of harder to cast. And then the spells that you've taken from the neutral schools of magic, it's a plus four on them. So they're all wearing plus fours. I think I've done that joke before. But uh, so, so they're going to be really hard to pull off as well. Your plus fours are hard to pull off. I think we could um, do something with that, can't we? So I let's have a look through the spells. So what I've done, Robert, I've um, took the liberty of creating... 
our wizards and warbands for us because when we when we turn up on the day quite soon to, to play the game you don't want to be sitting like creating everything plus it gives me the opportunity to cheat and create something really good for me and really terrible for you fair enough i do no different so the good news is for you you'll be taking charge of a rangers of shadow deep fellowship but i'm putting a, a wizard in charge of them and a wizard's apprentice so as i've mentioned a lot on the the podcast recently I've um, bought some new miniatures, painted them up. So I've got this wee girl with a teddy bear and I'm calling her Claire with the bear. She's going to be the wizard and we're going to have um, the wizard's apprentices, this tree man. I'm going to call him Russell Sprout. Do you like that? I do. I really do. I'm, I'm happy about that. So based on that naming convention in the future, I was thinking we could have Rick with the long, hard halbeard because he's a man-at-arms type. Yeah, we could have Annie with the big, hairy... Warhound as a companion. Good, good. Uh, going for a sci-fi game, maybe a bit of Stargrave, we could have Spock with the massive ears. From the Oathsworn range, Badger, who's holding his mug of tea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what about Giles and his agonising skin condition? I take it Giles used to be a farmer and now he's, like, you know, taken up into a life of adventuring. Nobby's piles. That was the that was a Viz character, wasn't it? It was. No matter what he did, he just got into mischief. <laughs> he always dropped out like hot air balloons and landed on church steeples and stuff. Aye. It was great fun. The etching powder factory. Um so the first the first uh, thing we're looking at here is the spells I've picked out for your wizard, Claire the Bear, and her apprentice, Russell Sprout. So Claire the Bear is an illusionist. Are you happy enough with that? Yeah, that'll be fine. Let's have a, a wee look at the eight spells that I've, I've given her then just to make sure that it's all good with you. So what we got up the top there? First off, we have Fleet Feet. It's a chronomancer spell and it gives you plus two... Well, it gives the target, doesn't need to be Claire herself, plus two movement for the rest of the game. Multiple castings... Do not. Uh, it doesn't stack. Basically, you can cast it twice on yourself if you want. You'll only ever get plus two. Just casting it constantly and not getting any faster. Yeah, and it's got a target of fourteen, and it's you've got to have line of sight, so you can't cast it on somebody around the corner. Yeah, next one you've got. Um, again, it's one of the allied schools of magic. I've by the way, I've pre, I've pre, um, updated the the target numbers here. So, like, it says 14 there, 14. That's with your modifier added. And it's ah. worth mentioning, too, with the Apprentice, I think they are they are then another plus two on top of the Wizards. Right. Uh, whatever the Wizard needs to roll, basically, the, the Apprentice needs to roll two more than that because they're just learning their trade. And yeah. The Wizard's quite precious about it. He probably doesn't want them getting that good just in case they suddenly turn on him or, or her, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, telekinesis next. So yeah, just moving things around with your mind, I suppose. Uh, you might you may move any treasure token within sixteen inches by up to six inches in any direction, uh, so long as it remains in line of sight the entire time. So that come in quite handy, wouldn't that? Just moving treasure about. And that's the thing I should have said is the the main objective of this game. There's five treasure tokens on the the table. So Plain Rangers of Shadow Deep have always had things that we're going after. There might be treasure tokens, it might be clue markers. But in the the core game of Frostgrave, it's five random treasure tokens on the table and we're, we're basically trying to come out on top of who could um, take away the most of them or, or 
just not die. Excellent. Okay, okay. What we got, what we got next? Well, I was just going to ask. Yeah, do you know the telekinesis? Are you able to lift it off the ground? So, like, it does say any direction. Could you move it up high to stop baddies getting to it if they should so desire? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good Vin- question. Vinny the sure. Vulture could come in and be like, "Aye, I'm hearing it," and away he goes. Yeah, that's that's a thing actually that I forgot to mention. So I had to take Vinny out of the party because the only thing I could get him in as was a warhound. Like there was no uh, there was no rules for vultures or that. I suppose you could just port in his stats from Rangers of Shadow Deep because the two games the stat lines are very similar, almost yeah. the same for everyone. But I thought. Let's let's let Vinny set this one out. You know, we could imagine him just flying around over the battlefield, which is pretty much what he does anyway, isn't it? So yeah, and maybe he's overpowered, especially with a spell like this. It would be assisting. Uh, so after telekinesis, what we got up next? Wizard Eye from the Soothsayer range of spells. Target of ten for uh, clear with the bear. Line of sight comes into play again. And it may be cast on any terrain feature within 12 inches that has a flat side, such as most ruins. Place a token on or next to the terrain feature to represent the wizard eye. And for the rest of the game, the caster may choose to draw a line of sight from the wizard eye instead of from the figure when casting spells. So, if you've cast the um, the eye way up the other end or whatever, and you're about to do something, bad guy hides behind the corner suddenly it could be that you can still see him anyway because you've got your uh, your spy cam out. So that's pretty useful. That's uh, a nice tactical little thing there. Yeah, sort of voyeurism. Magical <laughs> voyeurism. Yeah. I uh, wonder what it would be if it was called Wizard Sleeve. That'd be a different dynamic, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I mean, what, we've got to have some sort of limits on this. Uh, next up, we've got that wizard that I can't say his name or her name. Ah, uh, yes, the Thaumaturge. The Thaumaturge. Yeah. Thaumaturge. So the heal. Thaumaturge has given you a bit of heal. Yeah, so um, restores up to five points of health on the target figure within six inches. Uh, you can't go above its starting health and you can't heal undead or constructs. Yeah, a good old heal spell always comes in handy, doesn't it? We could have used one or two in the last game, that's for sure. What's next up then? Glow. Not gorgeous ladies of wrestling. This is Glow from the Illusionist range, and it's a brightly glowing light that surrounds the target figure. For the rest of the game, all shooting attacks against this figure from any source are at plus three. So I reckon that's an extra... 15% 15% difficulty to hit. So that's good. You know, like if you're un- if you're a wee bit low on health and you you know that there's going to be a few shots coming your way, this could make all the difference. And uh well like I say it's for the rest of the game. So that's pretty handy. Yeah, it's like sticking a target on somebody's back, isn't it? Yeah, and again, uh it doesn't stack, so you couldn't cast it multiple times unfortunately. Yeah, and it, like the the guy you've cast on is like brighter than the sun, <laughs> so it's actually counterproductive. Nobody could look at him yeah. without being blinded. Uh, the next one up's teleport. I wonder what that one does actually. Teleport. Uh, the spellcaster immediately moves to any location within line of sight, so it's like he's teleported, but may take no other actions this turn after casting the spell. This spell be, may not be used to enter combat or to move off the table. Fairly straightforward there, isn't it? 
the other thing I notice is it's uh, self only, so you couldn't get your pal out of trouble. Aye, well, that's where the next one comes in, actually. Transpose what we got there. Ah, We've used yes. that in Rangers of Shadow Deep. Yes, we have. The old switcheroo with uh, Vinny, who's on the bench for this one. So, transpose, target 12, line of sight. This spell switches the position of two figures on the table, just like last time. The two figures being transposed must both be within line of sight of the spellcaster and within 12 inches of one another. So, uh, it looks like the spellcaster him or herself doesn't need to be one of the two figures, so that's interesting. That's different from the last one. Uh, the spellcaster may cast transpose to switch themselves with another figure. Members of opposing warbands are eligible targets for being transposed, but may make a will roll with a target number equal to the casting roll to attempt to resist the spell. So in this case, it's a target of 12, I guess. So they can make a will roll same target to try and resist but if successful if the, the attempt to resist is successful the spell's cancelled, no figures are moved and um, thankfully friendly figures will not make such will rolls so it's only if they've got uh, motivation to resist basically Yeah you've got a warband who are in a, a strong trade union and they, they take issue with you doing it so yeah. they do need to they do get to do their will roll That's fair um, the next one's called Push. I love the, the the thought that this is just a cure for constipation, like some sort of mundane scenario. Uh, <laughs> we're doing the we're doing the Push spell. It's a sigillous spell, so you need line of sight for that. Target number of ten. The target suffers an immediate plus ten attack, but instead of taking damage from this attack, the target is moved one inch directly away from the spellcaster for every point of damage they would have taken. So, uh, yeah, you could basically push people off the edge of buildings and stuff like that in the water. You can't, like, if they, it says if they hit a wall, they just stop. But you couldn't sort of crush them under the weight of the magic, burst their head open. <laughs> yeah, that's slightly overpowered, but yeah, totally. I guess you're going to have to um, rely on fall damage doing all the work. It does say if this spell is cast from beneath a figure, it will push them up. So you could be up in the sky, basically. If the target is pushed up or off a height, it suffers falling damage. <laughs> I don't know. That's quite funny, that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you can get a set of spikes to slide under them before they way down, you know. <laughs> and again, we don't have um, rules for birds in this game, but like, it wouldn't work on a vulture, would it? Because you'd just push them up and he wouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> um, okay so like I say you're taking charge of Claire with the bear who's a, a very powerful illusionist wizard and uh, Russell Sprout the tree man her f- faithful apprentice I wonder how like Russell Sprout he's like presumably like a thousand years old and he's only the apprentice to like a seven year old girl but because she's an illusionist she's maybe like 1500 years old isn't she yeah, he's he's looking at this mammal who's got a toy other mammal and telling him like, you know, about nature and stuff. This is this is how we do it. Yeah. Um I don't have a name for my uh, summoner yet, so I'll talk you through her. She's like sort of demon uh demonesque female character. Um got the token boob armor. She's got horses hooves though. 
she's got a big sword and she's cut somebody's head off. She's she's kind of waving it about, because um, why wouldn't you? So, yeah, like a sort of she-demon character. And I just I don't have a name yet. And as we've covered earlier on, the names we've come up were pretty puerile anyway, so it's maybe as well. I don't have a name for it yet. She-rank. She rank what I, I don't I don't know I don't get it. <laughs> Shira, we got a thought with a sword and that, but she's not very good and she's a bit grotty because she's cutting heads off. So she rank. It's all I could come yeah. up with in eight seconds. I'm going to figure some out before we actually play the game, um, and the apprentice tour as well is one of those um, cultist miniatures that I got. So he's like robed and he's hunched over and his his hands are all tentacles and his face are all tentacles as well. He's like what um, Lovecraft would call an indescribable horror. You know when you read Lovecraft, he talks about the indescribable horror and then he goes on to describe them in great detail. Yes. And then he says something exceptionally racist. (laughs) Yeah, showing you that true horror comes in many forms. So yeah, I've got a summoner and uh, we're going to take a look at the spells that I've assigned to her and their indescribable Apprentice, uh, the first one, Elemental Bolt. Uh, I like the thought that this is just a posh way of saying you've ran away. <laughs> he took an Elemental Bolt. What we got for Elemental Bolt then? Well, the spellcaster makes a plus seven Elemental Magic shooting attack against a target figure within 16 inches and line of sight. So, pretty straightforward. Plus seven. Um, doesn't say what the damage is there, but I'm sure that'll be elsewhere. A straightforward shooty spell. Yeah, the next one I don't think will be too complicated either. It's called Invisibility. This is um, an illusionist spell as well, so Claire the Bear will be pretty offended that I'm parading one of these around, although I'm going to have to roll a 16 to to, to make it happen, and my apprentice is going to have to roll an 18 as well. So, um, And this is touch rather than line of sight. It says the target figure becomes invisible. Big surprise there. No figure may move into combat with the invisible figure, nor target it with any attack or spell, although it may still be affected by area effects, such as the blast radius of a grenade spell. If the invisible figure moves into combat, casts a spell, or picks up a treasure token, the invisibility spell is cancelled. This spell may be cast on a figure already carrying treasure, rendering both invisible. In this case, the figure drops the treasure, the spell is cancelled. I was thinking that'd be great there, you know, you're carrying the treasure off the table, you've suddenly gone invisible, but then you've dropped your treasure. So it's it's, it's obviously not the sort of thing you're going to um, cast on one of your own warband, is it? No, no, that's right. You've got to, you know, put a bit of thought into this, but there's a, a couple of nice options there for that. I like that. So next up, I've got a necromancer spell, haven't I? What is it? Steel health. The target must make an immediate will roll with a target number equal to the casting roll. So something I wanted to ask about before, actually, about the the will roll. So the casting roll, is that before modifiers are put on? Uh, Well, yes and no, because the the numbers here have added the modifiers already. So, like, this spell probably would have been a cast number of 10, but because it's a necromancer spell... It's a further plus two, so I need to hit a 12, if that makes sense. Is that what you were asking? Yeah, so does the target have to roll 10 or 12? It, oh, if they're doing the will roll, yeah. presumably they're, they're going to just have to beat what you had to roll, so they wouldn't be able to get out of that. Because I, I, I'm imagining you think of it as I've just 
you know, had to try harder with this spell, therefore it's ended up being stronger or whatever. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah I, I would imagine whether well roll they're going to have to match or beat it. Right, that makes sense then, because otherwise they've got quite an advantage that you had an add-on numbers and they don't. So yeah, they make a a roll, a will roll with a target number equal to the casting roll, but if they don't manage it, the target immediately loses three health, which the spellcaster gets. And um, the spellcaster gets that three health, even if the target had less health than that remaining. So say the chap's only got two, you take three, you still get your three, and um, the target dies. The Grimmaker gets the rest. Basically, yeah. Um, It can't take you above your starting health, like before, and it's got no effect on undead or constructs. And uh, a spellcaster may target a member of their own warband. However... (laughs) I really like this, actually. Yeah. That's so in keeping, you know, thematically with necromancers. They're just a dodgy bunch. But if they do that, the target immediately and permanently leaves the warband and is treated as an uncontrolled creature for the rest of the game. So (laughs) you only want to do it if they're low on health anyway and you think, ah, well, you know what, I might as well have it. (laughs) Like, Tam's just, he's gone Raj because his his gaffer's sucked half his health away. So (laughs) he's just turned on everyone. And he's like, listen, son, I think we might need to let you go, uh, but before you do, just hold still a minute. Aye. <laughs> um, I've got a Soothsayer's spell next, and it's going to require a roll of 16 to do this, and it's a touch spell. This spell gives the target a magic insight into the moves of their opponent, into the moves their opponent will attempt in a fight. It's kind of like one of those... Um, Kung Fu films, I suppose, where, you know, it slows right down for the guy. Yeah. Um, Grants the target plus one fight and plus one armour for the remainder of the game. Multiple castings of this spell on the same target have no effect. So sort of Matrix style, like you're punching me and I'm bending back and uh, avoiding it. Except I'm not because I couldn't possibly be rolling things like 16. I'm more of a single figures guy. Uh, What have I got next then? Curse, which the target suffers minus two to all die rolls. At the end of each turn, the target may make a will roll with the target number equal to the casting roll at minus two, of course. And if successful, the spell is cancelled. Curse cannot be cast on a figure already suffering the effects of a curse spell. So, yeah, that's like a 10%. Yeah, 10% penalty, basically, which is quite cool. And then, you know, each turn you've got a a 60% chance of them not getting out of it as well, unless they've got other modifiers themselves. But um, that could make all the difference, especially if you've got several people ganging up and you want everybody to get an extra 10% to uh, getting some damage in. That that would be really useful. I've got uh, three of my own spells next. Uh, the three summoner spells, which I'm only going to need a 10, a 10 and a 12 to activate these. Uh, the first being Plague of Insects. The target figure is attacked by a cloud of stinging or biting insects that irritate and distract. That's like Scotland and a beer garden in the summer, isn't it? Like you get sat down with your pint and then there's a wasp and then there's three wasps and then there's nine. And then by the end of it, you've had maybe, I don't know, three sips and you're dead. 
uh, if there's a creature on this planet that will not take a telling like the wasp, I've yet to find it. They just, yeah. they're, yeah, they're undauntable or something, a word that's real. Yeah. yeah our souls. <laughs> yeah. So the cloud of uh, insects or wasps, if you like, is a, a one inch radius centered on and moving with the target figure. So yeah, he's carrying his pint back to his table and there's just all these wasps around him. And his pals are like, didn't he bring them back over here? Um, oh, there's one person. There's one person saying, "No, no, don't swipe at them. That makes them mad. That will make it worse." And you're like, "Aye, well, <laughs> right then. This is fine. Wasps on my face. I'm just going to leave it there because I don't want to, yeah. you know, make the situation worse. But if it could get worse, I don't know how." While being pestered by the insects, a figure has minus four fight and minus four shoot to a minimum of plus zero and. Minus two to casting rolls. After this figure activates each turn, they may make a will roll with a target number equal to the casting roll. If successful, the spell's cancelled. So that's like somebody else has got a jam jar and left it at the other side of the room or the table and what? the wasps have went there. Just with a wee hole in the lid. Other figures within the radius may simply move away to escape. <laughs> <laughs> so you see that he's, he's covered with these wasps. He just leave them. Because um, it's not worth the hassle. A figure may only ever be affected by one plague of insects spell at one time. The, the, the rules writer here hasn't been to a beer garden in Scotland. Yeah. Whether as a target or by virtue of being within one inch radius, large creatures undead and constructs are immune to this spell. Lucky them. That could be... Could you transpose? And, you know, swap one of the bad guys Take for your, your own Take your wasps guy. with you. Well, or not, go, go, going back to Viz, sorry, just to divert us, um, for American listeners or listeners anywhere else in the world, Viz is like an adult uh, comic, very iconic adult comic here in, in uh, Britain or Scotland. Um, there was a guy, was it Billy Billy Bumblebee Beard or something? He yeah, had that's a beard right. and it was, it was just bees, as, as the title suggested. And he was just a pain in the arse, wasn't he? He was going about. He had this his beard made of bees, and it was it was a menace. It was just stinging people, and they were basically telling him to go away. <laughs> yeah, his beard of bees was, um, in his mind, a solution for things like a, a blocked drain or something, or you know, like oh no, all the candles have gone out on my six-year-old's birthday cake. Well, don't worry, my bees will help and. Actually, they end up making it worse. <laughs> Stinging kids. Do you remember how that strip ended? No, I don't. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he got he got a girlfriend, and it turned out it was. <laughs> her name was Annie, with the wasps <laughs> in her. <laughs> Marjorie wasp. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh Christ! Uh, I'm gonna to have to dig that. I bet that's I bet that's on the internet. I was about to say everything's on the internet. I'm looking, um, but I'm not going to Google that specific search term. Certainly. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, next spell: plane walk. Imagine this was just you going your holidays, getting on an easy jet, doing the plane walk. Summoner spell. You need to roll a ten to do this can only cast it on yourself. Are you, are you still Googling that? I am, yes. 
Right, plane walk. Uh, plane walk, we're going on holidays. We're going to Derek, we're going to Benidorm. Uh, it's a summoner's spell. Although the spellcaster remains in the same physical location, they move briefly between planes of existence. Uh, we've had evenings in the pub like that, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah. If you're either in a Weatherspoons and you want to go to the toilet, it does involve some amount of uh, extra-dimensional travelling to reach it, involving um, Escher-type stairs that go in several directions, yeah. Um, for the rest of this turn, they could ignore all terrain when moving, thus walking through walls or across chasms. That's your Weatherspoons right there. They may not be the target of any shooting attacks or spells. The spellcaster will never be considered in combat during the turn, nor can they be attacked by any figure. They may not, however, pick up treasure, or in any way affect other figures or terrain on the table. If they are carrying treasure, they drop it. It's incredibly draining to move between planes of existence, so if a spellcaster attempts to cast this spell a second consecutive turn, they suffer a minus 5 modifier to their casting roll. Uh, minus 10 if they attempt it three turns in a row, and minus 15 on the fourth. Just dying to get out his nut, like, no matter <laughs> what the cost is. Like, I'm doing this, yeah, I'm doing it. Uh, final spell for me, then. The eighth spell, Summon Demon. You couldn't be a summoner without having this one, could you? That's right. So I need to roll a 12 to pull this off, um, and it's a touch spell. Immediately place a demon on the table within one inch of the spellcaster. It may not be placed straight into combat, the demon is considered to be under the effects of a controlled demon spell by the same spellcaster, and thus this spell may not be cast if the spellcaster is already controlling a demon. The type of demon summoned depends on the amount by which the spellcaster succeeded on their casting roll. So if you succeed by 0 to 5, you get an imp, 6 to 12, you get a minor demon, and 13 plus, you get a major demon. It says if a spellcaster rolls a 1 whilst attempting to cast this spell, they summon an uncontrolled demon and must place this demon in combat with the spellcaster. Roll a die to determine the type of demon. 1 to 10, imp. 11 to 17, minor demon. 18 plus, major demon. That's interesting. I would have thought, like, for purposes of the dice aesthetic, you would have went, like, the lower the number, the, the worse the opponent. You know, like, I've rolled a 1, I'm fighting basically God. But, eh... Uh, Good point, yeah. yeah. So you uh, roll a 20 and it's a massive disappointment. <laughs> yeah. That will be the point that I roll a 20. Uh, final note on that, a spellcaster cannot empower a roll of one when casting this spell, but there is otherwise no limit on empowering this spell. It may be empowered above 18. So empowerment isn't something we've actually covered yet. From my memory, I've been poring over the book recently, empowering is uh, if you try to cast a spell and you fail the way I think empowerment works is you could actually take points off your health to get that roll over the line if that makes sense so you know you're you're damaging yourself but maybe this spell is essential to your game plan and you can't really you can't really afford to fail it so you're prepared to weaken yourself another thing worth mentioning uh, the success and failure of spells um, so if you if you fail a casting roll by 1 to 4, you don't take any damage. But if you fail a casting roll between 5 and 9, you take 1 point of damage. If you fail it between 10 and 19, you take 2 points of damage. And if you fail it by 20+, plus, you'd have to be doing 
pretty well to manage that, wouldn't you? You take five points of damage, so you there are risks it. involved. Yeah, you do. You do for sure. There are risks involved uh, casting spells, but in pretty much any um, lore or fiction where there's magic involved, it doesn't come without risk, does it? So taking a wee look at the, the quick reference sheet, that we've got the turn order here. So this looks um, pretty familiar to what you're used to with Rangers of Shadow Deep, doesn't it, Robert? Yeah, very, 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 very handy, and I wouldn't want to play without this, or at least a copy on my phone. Yeah, so quickly talk us through that turn order then. First off, a lot of adventurers will be familiar with initiative. Roll to see who goes first in each of the following phases. You've got the wizard phase. Rangers of Shadow Deep, you'd be looking at the ranger phase. This is the wizard phase, of course, where each player activates their wizard plus up to three soldiers within three inches. And then... Apprentice phase, each player activates their apprentice plus up to three soldiers within three inches. Did you know that, just like every other podcast out there, this show has its very own Patreon? But this is no ordinary Patreon. It's actually the worst Patreon ever. That's right, there's no rewards, no extras, no bonus content, no early access, no shout-outs and no thank-yous. I'll just take the money and quietly get on with making the show. Not that there's any money to take, because hardly anyone's pledging to the thing. Like I say, it's the worst Patreon ever. Find it at bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon ever. That's all one word, worst Patreon ever. Now, back to the show. So that's, again, that we're used to that, aren't we? Like, the Ranger has had that, like, rule in place with Rangers of Shadow Deep. But now, because you've got the Apprentice too, you're getting the opportunity probably to move, like, most of your warband over the two phases, if yeah. everyone's sort of bunched together. That's right. And then soldier phase, where each player activates all the soldiers that have not previously activated. And um, in what I think is a departure from Rangers of Shadow Deep, now it's the creature phase. Whereas before, I think it was the Rangers, then the creatures, and then any, anyone that wasn't within three inches of the Rangers. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because the creatures were part of the, they were part of the main story there, I suppose. Whereas creatures now, they'll be more um, in the background, mostly. Like you're you're fighting the other warband first and foremost. Whereas Rangers of Shadow Deep, you're you're fighting the game and the table, so it's likely creatures have got a lot more prominence in that game. Rangers of Shadow Deep, eh, Frostgrave. Sorry, you maybe have. If you play some scenarios, I think there's one where it's like, you know, there's the odd skeleton coming out a door somewhere and they're just, um, they're, they're operating in the same mechanics as they do in Rangers of Shadow Deep, but uh, probably not as much of a threat as they would be there. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Uh, the activations, again, two activations each, so we're totally used to this. Uh, move is one of your activations. Um with exceptions, I think, of uh, loading your crossbow. Uh, again, going back to Rangers of Shadow Deep there. Your second move is half your distance. We're familiar with that. Uh, fighting, shooting, casting spells, picking up, dropping treasure, or special. And the group activation too. We're familiar with that. Um, don't need to really dig into the movement and combat and all that stuff. Uh, if you go down to the general arms and armour table, again, that's I think that's pretty much bang on what we're used to with Rangers of Shadow Deep. Is that does that look right to you? Quick glance says yes. Uh, 
almost exactly actually, come to think of it. Um, dagger, minus one. Two-handed weapon is plus two. A normal hand weapon is nothing, no modifier. Uh, you've got a staff, minus one. Yeah, the staff's a funny one, actually, um, because you would do minus one damage with it, but your opponent does minus one damage to you if you've got one. So you're obviously using it as a blocking weapon. I, I think I've put clear clear with the bear. I think I've put her teddy bear down as a staff because I couldn't find teddy bear anywhere in this general <laughs> arms and armor table. So right. uh, hopefully you're happy enough with that. Yeah. You could turn it into a two-handed weapon if you want. So it, Just battered with a teddy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not, not like in Fallout 3 and or um, the other versions where you could use teddy bears and fire them out of rocket launchers and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It was, with it was the like days. a big gun that you just put all the junk that you had in, which was yeah. plenty. So, uh, apart from that, crossbow plus two, yeah, I think I've already said that. Yeah, it's pretty much identical with a, a couple of additions as well. Yeah, we've got the multiple combat rules. Every friendly figure also in combat, you get that extra plus two. This is cumulative, so that's the same shooting rules uh, and then there's your um, down at spellcasting that's your uh, empowerment uh, rule that I was talking about there increase casting rolls by one for every one health spent and it also says uh, roll a die minus two to the roll if apprentice roll must be equal to or greater than the casting number um, wee bit on collecting treasure there you want to just go through that quickly. So, treasure cannot be picked up if an enemy is within one inch because they would just batter you while you were bending over to get it, I guess. Um, a figure may only carry one treasure token and while doing so, their movement is halved and a figure carrying treasure that is armed with either shield, two-handed weapon, staff bow or crossbow is encumbered and has minus one fight as well as having its move halved. So that um, that gives you a couple of things to think about when you're deciding who's going to grab the treasure. Yeah, I think it was saying in the book that like you've got um, the two free options that you could add to your, your party or your warband are thieves and thugs, and they're obviously less capable, but they're also less well-armed, so they're actually pretty useful in these scenarios for just grabbing the treasure and running. You know, they're not going to do much damage anywhere, but... They're good folks to good expendable folks to to risk and send out into the middle of things and just try and pick some up and run away. Yeah, and probably get eviscerated by a wizard. Here we are, Robert. Talk me through what we've got on the table here. I came in early and set up. Type of guy I am. It looks good. Yes, we've got the the ruins, and we can see the. The war party closest to me here, uh, a bunch of uh, lively chaps. Uh, some treasure tokens, I believe. Yeah, five of them. Yes. Um, a little pond or two, a couple of outbuildings, and on the far side where I'll be sitting, uh, a band of, uh, uh, what would you call them, roving heroes, perhaps. Yeah, so when we recorded the other night, I was struggling. So I've got this, like, chaos worship and band of near near do wells mm-hmm. near do wells that's a word isn't it we'll go with that um so i was struggling to pick names for 
my wizard there and uh, her faithful apprentice. So I had a good think about this. I've come up with the solution. Are you ready for it? I am ready. So my wizard there, she's a summoner, Courtney Lovecraft. Very good. Very good, isn't it? Uh, Courtney Lovecraft and her faithful servant, or apprentice as it would be, Squid Vicious. Excellent. Uh, he's got big old squid tentacles hanging out his robes, as we all do in the morning when we come down the stairs. Has been known. Um, so, yeah, Courtney Lovecraft and Squid Vicious will be leading this war band. There's Chaos Warriors, there's Orcs, there's Goblins, a Chaos Dwarf, and I've got this other, um, I'll show you this guy. I don't know what he is. Uh, indescribable horror, I guess. Um, and you can see he's got a little penis there, isn't he? And he's got quite a big one as his head. Yes. Uh, so I've gone with Weird Willy. We'll call him Weird Willy. Fair um, enough. He looks like a lamprey or something, eh? Yeah. Like he's uh, he's naked, um, humanoid body, humanoid genitalia, and his head is, I mean, Christ knows. Christ knows what that is. He's like he's got one of those polytunnels for pets and then just put it on his head or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like something you would draw in your school jar, you know, when you were bored and you were doodling away. And, of course, the the phallus always was involved. And, yeah, uh, or on the desk during exams, that sort of thing. Things grew arms and legs and <laughs> other arms. Um, so, yeah, that is, uh, that's my party. You're led by... So you've got the, the usual gang from Rangers of the Shadow... Rangers of the Shadow Deep, uh, minus Vinnie the Vulture, but we've added your uh, wizard, Claire the Bear. Her apprentice is Russell Sprout, and we've got another couple of guys there that I've stuck in for you. Got a little kid with a pot on his head and a wooden sword, called him Stewpot. Very good. And uh, I think the wee kid at the back, he's running with an apple. I think I called him Adam with the apple or Adam's apple or something. You'll see it on your... Right. going to call it a team sheet. Because that's what it is, isn't it? Excellent. Um, so yeah, five treasure tokens on the table. I'm using that new 2D terrain, so we're able to get like ponds and trees and stuff, and some of the treasure tokens are in them. Um, they count as like difficult terrain and cover and stuff like that, which I'm sure will come to in the, the game itself. Um, and one more thing I've done, I took the liberty of changing the rules a wee bit, just based on a Rangers of Shadow Deep quirk. So we've got the five treasure tokens, but only three of those are active treasure. The other two are duds. And right. the way we're going to do that, we've got um deck of five cards here. Right, we have okay. Three, three black cards represent actual treasure and the two red cards represent just duds. So if you're really unlucky, you might... Um, and we'll, we'll, check, we'll check the deck as soon as we pick them up and just see if you've actually scored something or not. So, um, yeah, happy enough with that? Yes, it looks like quite the playground. Yeah, let's get to it then. Bit of a, a half-time break here, Robert. Half-time refreshment break, half-time toilet break. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've soiled myself. Don't know about you. My coffee's went right through me. Uh, so, yeah, it's been eventful so far, hasn't it? I a think. Lot of, yeah, a lot of adrenaline, a lot of fighting, a lot of uh, controversy on the, the field of play. Uh, it's been really interesting so far. I think the first notable thing I wrote down, uh, so I had Weird Willie, he's the naked guy, um, put him in the pond, there was treasure in the pond for some weird reason, treasure was just floating in the pond, so stuck him in there to try and get that treasure and that caught the attention of your party, uh, so I think it was your wizard, Claire with the bear, put a glow spell on him, which basically is like putting a big target on his back 
or he's willy. And uh, the other lads, the lads with the crossbows, started taking wee pot shots at him, didn't they? A couple so. of practice aims, i.e. missed by a mile. But yeah, then they got their eye in and... Uh, I think they, they got a shot, they, they got a bit of damage on them, didn't they? But um, Eventually, a, yeah. As it turned out, because we've done this thing with the... There was only three out of the five treasure was actually proper treasure. We were drawing cards. It turned out he was in there for no reason because uh, when he finally got to open his little package, it was just an empty shoebox. Yeah, with a bit of paper in it that said, the real treasure is inside of you. Good, good. So um, he's climbed out the pond now. He's still glowing, but I don't think anyone cares about him now. He's not doing a lot. I wouldn't expect him to contribute much from now on. Um the two wizards, they came to blows in a kind of magical sense. So you, again, cleared with the bear with this glow spell. She stuck the glow spell on Courtney Lovecraft, mm-hmm. my uh, my summoner, and I then replied with Plague of Insects. So cleared with the tat, bear. if you ask me. Yeah, they're, they're just shooting spells at each other. So cleared with the bear, they're now sort of swinging our teddy bear around her head trying to get all these insects off of her. Um, but then there was uh, there was a lot of trouble for um, Courtney Lovecraft because she left herself a bit exposed up there and she's been, uh, well, because of that glow spell, uh, Grub, who folks will know from Rangers of Shadow Deep escapades, he shot her with a crossbow, a really good shot. She's down to three health now mm. and uh, she's now been attacked by Son of Goatsey. So he, he's, like the title says, the son of her former party member Goatsey and he's... Um, Hacking away at her there, he's not managed to bring her down yet, but Count Gunther, he's just inches away. If he joins in, you're getting a plus two modifier. It's looking like difficult days for her now, because I'm assuming uh, that she can't cast spells at the moment because she's in combat, so with only plus two fight, I, I just can't see a way out for me. Yeah, and plus Fun Gus is just on the periphery there. He's going to come rushing in, and it's not going to leave much room for manoeuvre for your sorcerer. Excellent, excellent. And he's also got a kill under his belt because he killed the Chaos Dwarf. Um, you you kind of averted disaster there because you had Boras and Fungus they were teaming up on my Chaos Dwarf and you decided for some weird reason to bring your completely unarmed apprentice, Russell Sprout into combat uh, to get this plus four modifier and then he ended up, I think he took quite a bit of damage didn't he? So you you nearly actually lost your apprentice. Yeah he's down two hit points, he rolled a 19 and yeah Russell Sprout suddenly looked a bit... uh, uh, sheepish, I wish he, when he uh, was down to two after. I honestly thought plus four that that will come to loads once I've added on, you know, zero as it yeah, turned out. Yeah, because he was he, he got nothing. He got no other modifiers. He's a lover, not a fighter. And my my apprentice uh, Squid Vicious, he got himself up onto that little like ruined barn. He's on got a good vantage point of view over the table, but he's been really unlucky with his line of sight, and then he's. He's tried to summon a demon, he failed at that. He tried to uh, give a like combat awareness spell to my big orc brute, he failed at that. And he's just standing there looking a bit forlorn now, if Aye. there's such a thing as a forlorn expression on a squid-like face. Well, possibly. I mean, he's like Saruman up there in the big tower, looking over the battle and he's going, I can't actually see anything. Well, so. he, know- he knows that his boss is just about dead, so he's actually rubbing his tentacles together thinking I'm going to be the gaffer here updating and, his CV yeah yeah um, 
In other news, I think it was uh, Count Gunther, he killed one of my Chaos Warriors. Um, we've said already, Grub, he, he got that shot away at uh, Courtney Lovecraft. And you've um, picked up two actual treasures now. So Adam with the apple, he's scarping off into the, the rocks with one at the moment. The problem is your other one, uh, it was Stu Pot. He went into that misty sort of cloud area. Mm. Got the treasure, he's came out, but the orc brutes caught him now, and that's really not looking like a fair fight, is it? I mean, he's got his little pot on his head, his wooden sword. This other guy's straight out of, like, pit fighter, isn't he? So, ah, He's a big old chap. He's basically got a hold of Stew Pot by the hood, and he's doing, Stew Pot's doing the Tom and Jerry thing where he's trying to run, and he's just running on the spot. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be surprised to see him getting out of that, and plus, I've got that rabble of, like, three. I've got Chaos Warrior a chaos goblin and an actual goblin coming to back him up I doubt, I doubt he'll need any backup um, I do have one treasure uh, it's my orc warrior he's in the middle of the woods just now just sitting with that treasure he's opened it and the, the xbox is there so um, and it turned out the other treasure on the table we won't have to go near that which is funny because I somehow moved all my people past it inexplicably didn't I like just ignored it it's like you knew it's like a new... Yeah. And, you know, what if Stu Pot was to drop the treasure and, you know, show it invitingly to your big man there? Would Your big man should have to make a will roll to decide whether to go after the wee boy or to pick up the treasure, you know? Yeah, true, true. Yeah, maybe a supplement for another time. I think he'll just kill him and then take it, to <laughs> be honest. He's not that daft. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're pretty much halfway, I would say. Um, the treasure's all been unveiled and picked up and stuff like that. So we just need to see how it pans out from there. But you, I would say you're in a position of great advantage at the moment, Robert. Yeah, I seem to have, on instinct, perhaps, you know, gone for the long-range weapons and, and so on and held back a little bit. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't hold it against you if you said I was taking it too seriously, but I didn't put a lot of thought into it. Um, how do you feel it compares to when we're playing cooperatively in Rangers of Shadowdeep? I don't know. I mean, um, I think there's a few more surprises uh, with the Rangers of Shadowdeep, but I am also enjoying pitting my wits, if that's the, the term, against another human. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I, I really enjoy both games. I think they offer different experiences. What about yourself? Yeah, largely the same. I, when I was thinking, when I got here, even on the way here, I'm thinking, right, well, it's we're against each other. This is going to be far different because, like, if anyone's ever played a, a video game where you, you're really good against the computer, then you play your pal and you think, I have no idea what's going on here. Like, a, mm -hmm. whether it's a football game or anything else, just the, the pure chaos of playing another actual living being is something that you know obviously hasn't been replicated yet so it's been a lot of fun we'll say that i guess we're not taking it too seriously otherwise your sorcerer wouldn't have run up front my uh moss man adjacent russell sprout wouldn't have uh gone in with the sleeves rolled up when he's a caster i'm not even a good caster at that so yeah um, going for the narrative rather than the, the yeah. winning i would say yeah, or a bit of flamboyance, you know, a bit of uh, showmanship. Yeah. That sort of thing. Like, yeah, stand by, guys. Let me show you how someone that wears a robe can fight. And then nearly died. So, you know, hubris, pride before a fall. So we're just about to head into the wizard phase. And what we forgot to do is be rolling for initiative at the start of every turn. 
Um, yeah. that's, you're supposed to do that, but I don't know. I'm happy just to keep the turn sequence going as it is because uh, I can't even remember who went first. So Me at the very beginning, but yeah, I didn't realise we were to do the roll every time. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going in. Uh, Claire with the bear, she's covered in insects. Um, <laughs> I don't think it quite affects Grub. I think he's just a distance enough away. But, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, let's go back and see if she could uh, swap them away and maybe kill Courtney Lovecraft and get the spell off her for good. Yeah, she's in a bit of a hole. See what I did there. <laughs> anyway, good luck. Right, see you at the end. So there we go, Robert. That's the that's the end, isn't it? A pretty comfortable victory for you in the end. Everything went my way at the right times. There were a couple of spills and a couple of scares, but yeah, no, I'm happy enough with the way it went. It was quite the story. Yeah, I'm just looking back over my notes, but let's let's start at the end there. So basically, I ended up with um, my orc soldier and my apprentice, uh, Squid Vicious. He did that plane walk. Mm. Uh, so he was kind of moving about the table but nobody could see him but he also couldn't do anything and I managed to get him my last throw of the dice quite literally was to try and get him up to where this orc was trying to carry treasure off the table he was totally surrounded by your guys and we were we couldn't get clarity on this could we in the book whether my orc could drop treasure whilst in combat in the end you let him which was very generous of you but um I mean, it seems sensible that, doesn't it? Like you're saying, dropping yeah. something isn't difficult. So yeah, because like in D and D, you don't need to use a an interaction as such. I think to let go of a weapon so it falls to the ground. Mm-hmm. Like say you want to change weapon from a sword to a, a dagger for whatever reason, you could let go of the sword and then use your one item interaction to take the dagger out. Yeah, which makes sense because all you're doing is like unclenching your hand mm-hmm. in which case I'm happy that your chap just simply let go of the treasure in order to get rid of that minus one penalty for carrying it in combat yeah and this all happened in a woodland at the edge of the table which made it difficult terrain so you're trying to carry the treasure you're already half movement then you go into the, the difficult terrain so it was just and I was bogged down caught by people fighting me basically so the, aye, the dream the dream would have been I drop the treasure my apprentice suddenly appears from nowhere because he comes out of that spell picks the treasure up and then gracefully flees the table to be fair to that orc he had a I think he took a few folk with him like he just wouldn't die would he, um, he absolutely he was the hero of Thermopylae you know he was uh, on the bridge guarding it against however many Romans and stopping them from coming across. He held his own for a good couple of turns every time I thought, well, I've got plus six or plus eight or even plus ten at one point. He's getting it very tight, and no, he held his own. Oh, fair play to him. Statue coming. <laughs> Going back to the, the sort of middle of the game then, so I did, I ended up losing Courtney Lovecraft, my wizard. So what happened there was uh, she got herself in a bit of trouble, left herself a bit exposed, did actually nearly kill Grub, your ranger, mm-hmm. um, in hand-to-hand combat. She had a right good go at him. Uh, took nine damage up him, I've got here on my notes. Took nine damage. That's true. Um, and then it was uh, one of the cinematic spectacles where the two wizards got into hand-to-hand combat. Neither of them really specialist at that. But uh, Claire with the bear came out on top and killed Courtney Lovecraft and thus ended that spell of plague insects all over her. Yeah. So um, I was without a wizard and 
we saw in the game how hard that is on you because you're missing out on a whole turn and you know you're not only not activating your wizard but you potentially got some people around her that you could get moving so it, it really hamstrings you doesn't it yeah i was able to chain a couple of things together um it really made a difference and you know losing your wizard it also meant that i wasn't you know at, at the beginning of the game i was quite wary of what spells they might be able to throw from far away you know uh, using only line of sight so I was kind of not nervous about that, but once she was gone, it was like, right, okay, we can all run around because I don't think you had any ranged attack apart from your apprentice <laughs> who was phased or plane walking or whatever. Yeah, just so doing nothing. That was really useful for them to be able to go where they wanted, but it also meant they were out of the game in terms of I didn't have to worry what they were going to do next. Yeah, aye. For a little while. It's just positional stuff, isn't it? Like getting into positions, but in the end, it didn't really matter. Um, one chance that I thought I had was when Stewpot emerged from that cloud holding some treasure. I got that big orc brute, um, basically had him by the scruff of the neck. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was that came in and saved it. I think it was Count Gunther. He stepped in and um, he did enough with the, the orc that I think Stewpot basically, this little kid with a wooden sword and a pot on his head, killed the orc brute, didn't he? Yeah, because once the companions had caught up, then there were enough bonuses for Stewpot to be able to make the difference. And that's yeah. what you were lacking yourself, I think, when you were, instead of being surrounded by your own folk helping you, you were surrounded by mine. Yeah, I absolutely. I just, I was getting totally overrun at times. I lost a lot of people quite early. Um, and I think I just moved around quite poorly, like sending bunches of guys away to nowhere in particular, and that really cost me. Um, Harold Halford, he shot uh, Weird Willie dead. Weird Willie had just climbed out the pool. He was drying himself down with his towel. He was about to open a can of Stella and his <laughs> cheese and onion sandwich, and uh, Harold Halford put, a, put an arrow. I mean, where would he have put it? Where else? But... Uh, his little Willie, <laughs> like the thought that he shot him there. Yeah. So, I uh, Willie didn't have the best of games. He went into the water, took ages, checked it. It wasn't even real treasure. Climbed back out, gave himself a wee shake, and then took one right in the eye. So it was actually Count Gunther that killed the brute, but he had little Stu's help. Stu and Adam's apple. They carried that treasure off the table. Um, one of my chaos warriors did pretty well. So he killed Son of Goatsy again, Goatsy, former Rangers of Shadow Deep uh, companion. So we had his son, not quite as good, and same same fate really, because he died as well. Yeah, basically, I mean, he went out the way he lived, you know, violently. So he had two pals, but I managed to kill him by rolling a, a combined 23. Yeah. Um, that was a difficult one to take. Like. And it... Well, no, no, this this is the tough one here. That same Chaos Warrior fought Stewpot, who had some pals backing him up. Uh, cheeky little bastard that he was. So I'd rolled a 20. You hadn't taken your roll yet, but then you your combined roll took you over the 20. So we poured over the rules, didn't we? We were looking on Google and stuff yeah. to find out if that natural 20 meant that because I was dead like it felt really harsh that I rolled a 20 and died but as far as we could see that is just it's just one of the tough luck things yeah yeah I think I got 17 and with the the allies made it 23 something like that and um yeah I was all for the idea that maybe your natural 20 would trump it but 
Um, but then it's what do you do with that? Like I understand the natural 20 passing certain like will rolls or stat rolls. Yeah. But if you say the natural 20 wins the comp, like what do you do with that? Do you totally disregard the other person's role? And it, it, again, that wouldn't be fair either. So I think it's just one of the hard luck stories. Yeah. I, and I did have a quick look online just briefly and I could see people discussing it, coming up with potential house rules where... You know, they, they, they're suggesting the same thing you suggested, that your natural 20 should trump it. Unless we both got a natural 20, then the modifiers would do the, the telling. But um, I guess it's just one for debate. So I, I've got that little chaos, or I had that little chaos goblin in the full armour. Um, and he, at the end, I thought if I could just take somebody with me, namely your wizard. So I ran away. I was I was going to have him escort the the orc off the table with the treasure, but by that point you already had the two treasures. We knew there were two duds, so I'd lost the game anyway. So I went and had a go at player with a bear, and uh, you know I had a plus three modifier. I think she was a plus two at the time, and she still managed to to beat me and uh, and kill me as well. So that's when I was kind of seeing that things weren't going well for me. Mm. And then I think we made a bit of a mistake. I had a a goblin who was basically engaged, or a bunch of your guys had engaged him at the top of the table. There was a, ch- a slim chance, if I'd rolled loads of 20s in a row, that I could have killed them all and taken the treasure. Um, and when he lost in combat, I mistakenly took the health of somebody else, and he died. But I don't know that he should have died. And because he did die, that freed up one of your guys to then get away and do some damage elsewhere. So I think it was a wee bit of a mistake, but I don't think it would have affected the outcome in the end anyway. Yeah, it's one of those things I would say to anyone looking to play these games, and you probably would know this yourself anyway, but do your best to keep track of the turns, especially like, you know, you don't your particular figures don't take this, their turn the same time every time because... It depends if they're within three inches of the wizard or the apprentice and so on. So it is easy to lose track a little bit. And and, and things like loading as well. Or oh, did I reload that time? No. And, and so we, on. We rolled on that, didn't we? Yeah. So we couldn't remember if Grub had reloaded his crossbow. So you rolled, um, you had to roll more than 11, basically. So yeah. a lot of the times when there's something that you can't not that we disagreed but if if it's dubious the best thing to do is just to let the dice take care of it isn't it yeah but yeah you're right uh, a lot of the times you could be moving a lot of your soldiers either in your wizard phase or your apprentice phase and sometimes in your mind it just becomes the soldier phase uh so yeah that there probably is some i say sophisticated way of keeping track of turns a bit paper and a pen would do it i reckon yeah as long as you were keeping up with that as well That'd be a fair bit of work, though, so, you know. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe you write the turns down and you have a coin sitting next to what turn it is or something like that. Um, or you just film the whole thing, set your mobile up. Aye, or, well, and then start rewinding it. Yeah. Um, one of the other things as well that we've been doing, we've been moving miniatures through other miniatures a lot, and I, I wonder what the the best i mean i suppose as long as there's consistency in the game and everyone's doing it it's fine yeah but i suppose there's an argument as well that you could you know if you can't if you can't see past a miniature friend or foe you maybe shouldn't be able to walk past them or through them i don't know i don't know yeah i know some games that as long as it's an ally then Mm -hmm. and as long as they're not contesting you trying to go past them then they basically breathe in a bit and squeeze up to let you past yeah like me 
trying to walk past you, maybe we're in the pub or that, and you just won't budge. And I've got two pints in my hands, but yeah. I'm still breathing in, even though my <laughs> pints are still held out. Um, I, I think that's it. So uh, apart from that pretty heroic... I, th- I think I had that Chaos Warrior that did pretty well and the Orc did pretty well at the end. Apart from that, pretty disappointing from almost all of my team. Um your your apprentice Russell Sprout, he had a bit of a faux pas, didn't he? Getting weighted in and getting hurt quite early when he didn't really need to. Yeah, I was sure that I would like oh with my bonuses I'd be able to go in and 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 get in big time. But yeah, no, I'll be wary of that in future because he was plus zero to his fight anyway. So I nearly had a nice moment where um, I used the old switcheroo spell to swap places, transpose between yeah. me and your chap with the treasure. And that would have been a great finish for you because he was right at the edge of the table with the treasure. If you'd swapped places, that would have been... Yeah. But then what happened? Um, well, I made the roll, but then you made your will roll and you rolled a 16 yeah. or, or more or something. Yeah. I think you had to roll 15 or higher and you got 19. And yeah. so it's like you went, nah, I'm not doing that, thanks. I'll stay where I am. So I just had to go back to brute force. Yeah, and that worked in the end. There's a lot of dead people lying there. Yeah. So uh, two treasures, what are you going to spend those on? In fact, three treasures, because they would have carried that one off the table too. Um, so. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Game shows, when you get the money, oh, what are you going to do with the money? Oh, I'm going to consolidate all my debt because I live in a capitalist hellhole. I mean, <laughs> probably a nice holiday with the kids. That's where they edit it out. Yeah. What are you going to do with your speedboat and your council estate in Scunthorpe? Yeah. Sell it. Aye, sell drugs from it. <laughs> <laughs> are there any canals in Scunthorpe? Um, <laughs> shout out to any listeners in Scunthorpe. I don't know why I'm picking on Scunthorpe. Don't know anything about the place. Um, we should have set our game there, actually. Uh, Clutchy yeah. Meyer was our fictional setting, wasn't it? And what a nice place it does look. I do wonder, actually, just final thoughts on the table there. Why do you think they needed a well so close to a pond? Is it because the pond's just actually sewage? Could be. Maybe it's linked to it. Maybe there's been flooding in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe there's dry seasons during the later on in the year. Uh, it's a fake well. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. You lift it up and there's a little set of stairs and that'll be the scene for our next adventure. Yeah, down the well. There's only space down there for like three barrels, but yeah. Yeah. We'll find something to do down there. <laughs> um, any closing thoughts then before we get it wrapped up? Uh, I'd like to apologise to the Goatsy family for taking out two of their people <laughs> in quick succession in two games. Um but apart from that, that's taken us, that's three hours, 12, one, two, roughly. Yeah. Um, and there are worse ways to spend three hours, I tell you. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's interesting seeing the different dynamics, especially seeing another player use them. There are, there are a lot of spells I didn't bother using that I thought maybe I should have done. Uh, I went for glow quite a, quite a lot. Um, yeah, I tried to summon a couple of demons and that didn't work. Yeah. Um, interestingly as well just on the minor demon spell uh, so I have to roll a 12 to summon a demon but then if you succeed by 0 to 5 you get an imp 6 to 12 minor demon succeed by 13 major demon not sure how I'm meant to succeed by 13 if I'm uh, you know if I have to roll a 25 that's obviously like I've got some suppose you could empower it couldn't you 
I guess so. Power it. That's that's maybe the answer then. Yeah. If you question, if you roll a natural twenty, then you only have to spend three health. Yeah. Getting it, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I wanted to add as well that the spells are a little bit prohibitively dangerous to yourself. You know, like all you want to do is increase somebody's movement by two, but if you fail it, you could potentially lose health. Yeah. Ironically, you're trying to heal somebody and you. Hurt yeah. yourself quite badly. Actually, Russell Sprout, yeah, he tried to heal himself, failed it so badly, he was actually he worse off. Himself. Went from two da- <laughs> two health down to one. So I guess that's probably partly why I didn't use a lot of the spells, because I thought if I'd fail three spells, I'm, that's half my health gone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's similar to Rangers of Shadow Deep in lots of ways, like mechanically and that, but a very different game in the end, because like you're playing somebody else and... Uh, you're kind of fighting an opponent rather than fighting the table or the game this time around. So I think that's maybe why it took a bit longer, especially you you end up with those like bunched up combats that just won't die. Yeah. Um. So. And you want to be a bit more gracious about it as opposed to you know when we're teaming up like aye that's good enough eh that's close yeah, enough right yeah. let's get wired in whereas me saying oh can I go an extra half inch so I can crack your skull yeah friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you want to be a bit more uh, conciliatory, I guess. But I'd be interested to see what other people think of playing games like this against each other and cooperatively and how the dynamics work and if they're still friends with people. Yeah, you could you could imagine it being a bit funny if it's if you're playing against somebody that you don't know. You know, I, I don't know that they do Frostgrave tournaments. They probably do somewhere, but if you took that into like a tournament setting, that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Because... Then you're going to need like an invigilator and all that. Um, yeah, that could get ugly. Yeah, really ugly. I mean, I went to a settle as a Catan. You know the board game Catan. Yeah, um, played it a few times a now. T- tournament in Glasgow years ago, and it got so fraught and tense that this girl just said to one of the other guys who was never going to win, and he, she said to him, "Look, I tell you what, if you give me all your cards, I can win this right now." And the guy gave him her cards. And she was like in second place, like it was probably maybe not going to win. The other somebody else was, but it was so tense that she was like, "Yeah, let's just do you want just to end this?" Yeah. And so, you know, genius move, I guess. But the guy who was ahead of her at that point was absolutely furious. Like I think he had to be escorted out. Yeah. So you don't want scenes like that. I'm happy to play cooperatively. Yeah. Or just be the hardest person there. <laughs> yeah, well, have a plan for sure either way. <laughs> All right, then, that's us for now. Uh, next up, it'll be Rangers of Shadow Deep whenever we pencil that in again, because we've got some werewolves to kill. Oh, that's right. I've got some werewolves to paint first, to be quite honest with you, but that's part yeah. and parcel of the process. That's about it then for this episode. A wee, a wee look through Frostgrave in comparison to Rangers of Shadow Deep. So for the listener, like if you're if you're unfamiliar with Rangers of Shadow Deep, uh, there's plenty of episodes in the back catalogue where we both talk about the game and actively play it as well. Final shout out for the the Discord bedroombattlefields.com slash Discord. You're not in there, Robert, are you? I was about to say Discord before. Yeah, yeah. No, I I used I haven't used Discord for a little while, but um, when I was actually listening to the last episode when it came out, uh, and I was driving at the time, I thought, right, I'm gonna get in there and see what everybody's saying, and I didn't do it, but I'm gonna do it right now, right now. 
That's the place to be. It's but the place to be. You'll have to remind me of the address so I can do that. Bedroom battlefields, uh, not a relationship counselling site, as it is often pointed out, but um, .com forward slash Discord. Funny name for the platform, because Discord to me means, you know, like we're arguing and stuff, and yeah. I like to think it's actually quite pleasant. Well, yeah, I've thought that myself, actually, but hey, it works. So I am in. I'm continuing now to Discord. I'll see you there. Great stuff. Do I imagine you did like, and this is perfectly achievable, if you did like a live hello on the episode, but then when the episode came out, people would be like, I remember when he typed that. Because, you know, there's thousands of people in there paying careful attention. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to change my name because it's not something people would recognise. So I'll do that now. It is literally Goatsy. No, I'm going to change it to Hrodbert, which is an old Germanic version of Robert. Excellent. Nice one. So, uh, yeah, we've achieved a lot. We've recorded an episode. We got you in the Discord. Um, Any closing thoughts before we uh, mosey on down? I don't know where we're moseying on down here. uh, Down to Tableland. The kitchen to make a nice cup of tea. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Alright then, thanks very much for listening and uh, we'll catch up again on the next one. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.